What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are diving into another Q&A style podcast. So as always, thank you to everybody who asked a question on my Instagram Q&A this past week. I actually answered all of these questions on my Q&A this afternoon, but I have a little bit of time here and I thought there was some really good questions today and I saved a handful of them to dive a little bit deeper into the podcast today. Some topics that I don't think I've touched on or maybe some slight variations of things I've already talked about in the past and on other Q&A style episodes, but I really enjoy these and it's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of fun to, to have some type of interaction with people instead of just coming up with topics on my own all the time, if that makes sense. So without further ado, let's get into it. The first question is suggestions to help deal with low energy during the day. There could be a lot of things. And the hard part about doing some of these Q&A episodes is as much as I want to make these nuanced and individualized to you, every question that I get really lacks context on what I, you know, what I would need to give you a definitive answer for you and your situation only. Now, what I can do and to the best of my ability at least is give you generalized topics, pointers, advice, just think out loud as I walk through some of these questions, which is kind of what I do on Instagram, but also what I want to do here. So I, I say that as a little preface to answering this question because I don't know. And, and the reality of it is, unless we're a one-on-one client or I know you personally, or we're having a more in-depth discussion about this stuff, it's going to be really difficult for me to like get this question and then figure it out, uh, you know, with one response and then send you on your way. That's not really how it works, but I think it's a good thought provoking question. And, and from here, I just want to like go through some of the options and some of the things that I think about when it comes to people with low energy, chronic fatigue, just kind of battling with that as they proceed through their week and in year after year. So with that being said, I really always come back to the basics, the fundamentals, the big rocks, however you want to classify it. But um, there's a handful of things that I need you to make sure that are in check before you move to the next one. Because chances are either one or a few or all of these might be off. And if that's the case, then there's a good chance that you fixing that thing will likely make the biggest difference and, and make it easier to correct and ideally start feeling better, having more energy throughout the day. Now, those big rocks, those things that I kind of keep coming back to in no particular order here. First one that comes to mind is hydration. Now, I get it. A lot of people drink enough water. Um, you know, the recommendation of drinking half your ounces in, um, in body weight, I think, is a good starting point for most people. <sighs> Look at your pee. You know, if your pee is super clear, like, and you're peeing a lot, chances are you don't need any more water. You're, you're fairly hydrated. Um, and I say fairly hydrated also with an asterisk here because um, also appreciating like electrolyte balance um, and not just like chugging, you know, two gallons of water a day. Like there's a difference between the two for sure. Um, but a lot of people are not hydrated and a lot of people don't actually drink enough water throughout the course of the day. And a lot of people proceed throughout their day, throughout their weekends by waking up first thing in the morning, like hammering a cup of coffee or four cups of coffee you know, before they actually put any type of other fluid within their body, also before they even eat. And not to say that coffee is, you know, the devil here or anything, but, you know, you waking up first thing in the morning and drinking a stimulant first thing before eating any food, drinking any water, it's like probably not the best way to start your day. Uh, also, depending on what work you have, how active you are, how sedentary you are, you know, if you have a water bottle, how, if you're drinking consistently throughout the day, like, I don't know. Sometimes we can overestimate how much water we're drinking and people are like, oh yeah, I have like three LaCroix a day, so I'm good, right? It's like, uh, no, not necessarily. So uh, biggest thing I would say is like, make sure you're hydrated. And if you haven't done it before, maybe track and just see how much you're drinking on a consistent basis. And that could be a good starting point. Again, the typical recommendation of half of your body weight uh, in pounds um, in ounces. So like, let's say I'm 180 pounds, like 90 ounces of water or more would be like a good starting point for me. Covering your basis with that, um, seeing if you're doing that consistently, like that would be an area that I would have you look, um, first. Okay. The other thing that comes to mind, the blatant one is like, are you eating enough calories? Okay. And, and, uh, more specifically, not chronically under eating or just consistently 
you know, under eating food throughout the course of the day. Um, I see this sometimes in like the intermittent fasting crowd, honestly, sometimes like people who don't eat during the day or at until 2 p.m., like sometimes, you know, people will feel good. They'll tell you if they feel good, right? Those fasters that just kind of project all their own shit and beliefs onto you. Like, oh, you should do fasting because I feel amazing on it. Like we all know people who will say that. Um, But there's a lot of people who do not feel that way. And there's a lot of people out there that if you do not eat anything before noon or one o'clock or two o'clock, man, you're going to be grumpy and hangry as fuck, you know, going into that afternoon. And, um, you know, if you're not having enough calories throughout the, the earlier part of your day through the mid part of your day, man, it hundred percent could be contributing to you feeling like shit come mid afternoon or at the end of the day, or just waiting to eat all your calories and two meals a day or within an eight hour eating window at the end of part of the day. Uh, and not to like bring intermittent fasting into this completely, like that's not the huge culprit here. Um, in all contexts, It's usually something that does come to mind for me, but maybe you're somebody who eats breakfast and lunch, but at breakfast and lunch, you're eating half of a Nutrigrain bar and a banana and a cup of coffee. And then at lunch, you know, you're having your salad kit or whatever that you brought from home. Like, yeah, you eating 500 calories a day or 500 calories through like one, two, 3 PM through your work day. And then like, overloading or overeating at the end of the day, like that's not usually a good recipe either, you know? So I would just, I would encourage you to really look and be honest with yourself too, but look at what your eating habits are like. What are they during the week? What are they during the weekends? Do things change? Um, what is the plate composition or what is, you know, what does your breakfast and your snacks and your lunch actually look like throughout the day? And are there any, you know, room for opportunity to add more protein in with breakfast or to maybe get more fiber or to maybe get more nutrients? Um, Maybe you're just, you know, subconsciously just not eating any carbs, right? Your body's preferred energy source. And maybe you're only eating 30 grams of carbs before dinner, you know, like maybe having a smoothie or breakfast or adding a banana or some cereal or oats, like having some like complex carbs with your breakfast, And then having a snack or having lunch with carbs, different, you know, rice or grains, or maybe you add a pasta to, you know, your meat and veggies that you're, you're consuming right now. Like maybe adding more carbs to the picture could also give you a little bit more energy, a little bit more of a boost as you kind of proceed throughout your day. So, um, big, big kind of umbrella here is like, are you eating enough? Okay. Then there's different categories within that. You need enough calories. Uh, are you eating enough carbs, right? Are you having enough, um, maybe like protein and fiber, some of these, you know, higher nutrient foods that yes, are involved within, you know, your body's chemical reactions and the production of energy and you converting, you know, the carbs that you eat from your food into carbs that are actually used for fuel within the muscle cells, like all these things, right? Like over or, um, eating in general, just being, in tune with how much if you're eating enough. And again, that's where I think tracking can help at least for a period of time. But at the very least, just like looking and being honest with yourself and just seeing if you're eating enough, because chances are that's usually a big one that I see, especially with high stress, high performing individuals who, you know, don't have time, quote unquote, to eat or to take breaks or whatever the case may be. Like a lot of times you not eating and you going long periods of time without eating is probably one of the reasons why you're feeling like fucking shit come mid afternoon or at the end of the day. So that would be another big rock that I would point out. Um, the other thing that comes to mind, yeah, I kind of alluded to it, but like eating different colors, right? Fruits and vegetables, like making sure you're getting enough of uh, fiber on a daily basis, you know, taking a multivitamin with minerals, Uh, even drinking like uh, green supplement, athletic greens, like, yes, you're kind of covering your basis and maybe covering in some of the cracks with your micronutrients that you're getting throughout the course of the day. But those still are not replacements for eating food throughout the course of the day. And I mean, the thing with with supplements, especially supplements that are full of water-soluble vitamins, right? Um, Vitamin C, the B vitamins, Um, Any vitamin essentially that's not vitamins A, D, E, and K, the fat soluble vitamins, like you might have a super dose of greens powder in the morning of that, or take a multivitamin with minerals in the morning or at night. 
Um, but your body is going to use what it can and what it needs and you're going to excrete the rest, right? Like there's not really like a toxic level um, of taking too much of some of these things because it's water soluble. You're going to flush it out with your urine um, and you're not really at risk for like having too much of a dose. So that's where you see a lot of these supplements and things have pretty high doses of it, but your body's only going to use a, a finite amount of that, okay? Now, having that all at once, again, your daily recommended value of vitamin C at 8 a.m. in the morning when you drink your water, like that's going to be very different than you having period or periodic um, points throughout the course of the day where you're having some fruits or, or vegetables with your breakfast in the morning or a smoothie. And then you have lunch or maybe you have a snack, right? In, in the mid-afternoon. And then maybe you have a protein shake or something before your workout later in the day. I mean, having dinner at night, right? It's kind of similar to the protein distribution type of conversation here where, you know, if we look at it, it seems that it's a little bit more optimal to space your protein feedings out throughout the course of the day just because your body has a limited capacity for um, using these amino acids and putting that towards muscle protein synthesis, stimulating muscle protein synthesis um, compared to you maybe eating, you know, a hundred grams of protein at dinner. And that's the main protein source you get at the end of the day. Like that's going to be different than you having, you know, 35 grams of protein with a breakfast, lunch, and dinner and spacing that out. And there's a good chance that your body will put, you know, used to those proteins uh, more towards muscle building throughout the course of the day instead of you over, you know, overloading your protein at one meal, um, you know, and, and not being able to stimulate muscle protein synthesis as consistently as you are maybe throughout the course of the day eating at a normal um, eating pattern here. And I, I say all of that to relate that to somewhat of this like micronutrient consumption, you know, you having a super dose of these micronutrients at one time of the day might not be as beneficial as you spacing that out. And again, this is where food, eating enough, having different colors, I say colors because all the different colors that you see in fruits and vegetables and different foods, like those all just mean that there's different nutrient profiles in there and there's different sources of fiber and different amounts of different vitamins and minerals that you will get from there. So having a diverse amount of them, but also spacing that out could be something to keep in mind if you aren't doing that already, okay? Now, along, along those lines, I would also say like, are you eating mostly like nutrient dense foods? Are you eating most of these foods throughout the course of the day? Cause man, if you wake up in the morning, you know, and you get to work and you have, and not to just pick on the person that works, you know, Monday to Friday, eight to five kind of thing. Like this is applicable to everybody. Um, you can apply it to your routine, but like, you know, we all know the person or the people who go to work and the work has, you know, coffee already there for you. And, you know, every Wednesday or every other day, there's donuts or something in the break room that you're eating alongside with your coffee. And, you know, maybe it's these more, you know, highly processed foods, these foods that are stripped, maybe of more nutrients, um, you know, don't have as much protein, don't have as much fiber, they're low satiety, they're easy to overeat. Um, they're really simple energy sources. Um, like, you having those more often it could be one of the reasons maybe why you're feeling shitty too later in the day if you're not, you know, eating those things in addition to other things, right? Or if you're not um, prioritizing and getting some of the minimum amounts of these nutrients in with some of these other fun foods and some of these other things that are in your office every once in a while. So um, I say eating mostly nutrient-dense foods and minimally, minimally processed foods. I say it lightly because processed foods are not, not, you know, bad either, quote unquote. Um, there's a lot of processed foods out there that are really nutritious that can 100% add to and benefit people in their diet day to day. So um, I'm talking about things like getting it out of packages, right? And opening a, a bag of something or, um, you know, opening a box of, of whatever it is. Like usually those are the things that might be a little less nutritious than maybe having more whole foods, more foods that are prepared at foam, at, at, sorry, at foam, at home, stuff that you're preparing kind of in the kitchen a little bit more. Okay. So awesome. I say that. So there's a lot of different buckets when it comes to your nutrition. You could see that there's a lot of different contributing factors here. So, um, that's another big rock. We can probably talk forever about that, but I'll leave it at that. Um, and then the last thing that I would really say here is making sure you're like getting in daily movement, whether, and I'm not saying like you have to work out super hard every single day here. Okay. I'm talking about, sure. Getting in three workouts a week, 
two at the minimum, maybe four if you're able to, you know, fit that into your schedule, but two to four workouts throughout the course of the week. Um, But in addition to that, maybe you're walking, right? Maybe you're doing a group fitness class, or maybe you're doing some type of other um, yoga or Pilates class or something, Uh, maybe even if it's once a week, but you being sedentary is likely going to contribute to be, uh, to you being more tired and fatigued throughout the course of the week, because Man, like I don't know about you, but like even even the the times where maybe you don't feel like exercising, you get through a workout. More often than not, people feel better after that, and and the release of some of these hormones, and um, and even just like from a like a psychological standpoint, like you showing up and doing something that was hard and making yourself temporarily uncomfortable for a minute, like you feel good after that, you know. And if that's absent throughout the course of the week. Or if you're just glued to your desk like 45 hours a week, like, man, that's also something that's going to be contributing to you feeling a little bit more tired and lethargic throughout the course of the day. So any type of movement is beneficial here. Um, I would even go on the other end of the spectrum. If you are moving or exercising too much, doing too much high intensity stuff, you're somebody that's going and going balls to the wall and doing five, six orange theory classes a day, every single day before you go to work, like the opposite end of the spectrum can also be true in that same breath, especially when you pair that with not eating enough, not hydrating enough, going long periods of time without eating. It's kind of a recipe for disaster for a lot of people. And a lot of people can find themselves in that bucket too. Like the, the real go-getters, the type A's, uh, the people who are often scared to not work out a lot, right? Because the fear of gaining weight or, you know, having some of these other things happen, right? But I would just throw that little caveat in there too, that overexercising can also be, can also be a detriment on this uh, type of topic as well. So finding a balance between the two and the balance, like there's a lot of gray area in here, but like don't bust your ass and like take no recovery days throughout the week and work out six, seven days throughout the week. Like don't do that. And then don't not work out at all. Like anything between there, chances are you're going to be on the right track. So cool. I'm going to end that answer on there. It's a long one. Okay. Next question we've got here. Can you lose fat without tracking macros or do you have to count them? Of course. And there's two things that, two things that come to mind right now. One, if we're comparing, not tracking, um, all the macros and comparing that to tracking calories and protein instead, 1000% that will work. And I'd, I'd almost encourage most people to try and approach that. There's very few scenarios in which I'd really recommend somebody count all three macros. Some of those scenarios being like you're like a professional bodybuilder, a bikini um, physique competitor, and you're going to be stepping on stage or you're doing contest prep, which is not most people. Uh, the second one would be maybe for like a uh, maybe if you're like a high-performing athlete, a semi-pro athlete, a professional athlete, uh, and you need to get the minimum amounts of some of these things throughout the course of the day because you're doing double days and you're traveling a lot and you know there's a lot of moving pieces in your life. Like, yes, that might be another instance where I would say, hey, maybe tracking macros and getting to a minimum of certain things would be a good idea. The other scenario that comes to mind for me would be also working, like if I was working with somebody who is somewhat like repairing their relationship with a certain macronutrient, usually fats, uh, mostly carbs. Like people are just scared shitless of carbs because they've been like told they've been, uh, it's been bad and they, they are the, the macronutrient that will make you gain the most fat, you know, and they're in everything and sugar's the devil. Like, you know, people who are scared shitless of eating carbs uh, or maybe recovering, you know, people who go on low carb diets or keto like a lot of times they are scared to eat enough carbs or too scared to increase their um, carbohydrate consumption. So in certain contexts, I would almost encourage people, you know, we can work on setting a minimum baseline or a minimum number and kind of incrementally go up from there. But outside of those three scenarios, like I very rarely would recommend somebody track all three macros. Um, And I say that because, you know, if we look at tracking calories and protein, it's very clear now in the research that as long as your calories and your protein are equated, right? Like those are uh, the variables that you are controlling. It doesn't really matter that much 
you know, if the other calories are coming from fats or carbs or a combination of both, um, you're going to get the same results essentially. Um, especially if you're in a fat loss phase. And that's, uh, that's something that I say out loud because I I want people to appreciate the fact that we don't have to overcomplicate this. Right. And if you've been playing like, you know, macro Tetris and you've been in that situation in your life where you're looking in your freezer and your fucking fridge at the end of the day and you have seven ounces of chicken breast, you know, 15 asparagus spears and then two almonds because that's what fits your macros for the day. It's like, man, that's just not a place that people should ever get to or be at and tracking calories and protein and just letting your preferences dictate how you get to those calories throughout the course of the day, as long as you're staying within a calorie threshold. Um, and if you're in a calorie deficit, if we're trying to lose weight here, that's what the question's referring to is like, is it possible to lose fat? Like, fuck yeah, that will hundred percent work. And that will likely be an easier way to you for you to approach your fat loss phase instead of trying to be super meticulous and, you know, build out this data to land within five grams of every single macronutrient. So 100% yes. If we compare tracking macros to just tracking calories and protein, I would push people in the direction of tracking calories and protein more often than not. Um, almost all the time, if I'm being honest, like there's, I can't even like count on my hand the amount of times that I've had a client us track all three macronutrients within the last like two years. So, um, yes. Now, if we compare tracking all macros to just not tracking anything at all, which I think might be what this question is actually referring to, like, do you have to actually track your food or can you get away with not tracking your food and still lose fat? The answer is yes to that as well. Like you do not have to track any food for you to lose weight. Now, whether or not you track those calories or not, they are still going to count, if that makes sense. Like even though you're not documenting it or tracking it in a food tracking app, like those calories are still going to count because you have to be eating less than what your body is burning daily for you to lose fat and for you to lose that consistently over time. Now, Again, I'd argue that a period of time spent tracking and just creating awareness around the food and what you're doing can give you more of a clear picture and just a better understanding of food and how much you need and you know what 1,800 calories looks like and um, just like looking at what a day looks like and looking at okay, that's you know 2,400 calories. That's what 160 grams of protein looks like. I think doing that for a period of time, again, the goal is never to just track your food for the rest of your life. Like that's bullshit. Um, But we have to appreciate the fact that tracking can be a tool that we can use for a short period of time to get us the results that we're working towards. So um, I throw that out there because technically, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to track all your calories and still lose weight. Um, But it sure as fuck can make it easier. Um, and it can make it less confusing as to, you know, when you hit a plateau or when you're not seeing the results that you want. Like it's easier to make modifications and adjustments when you actually have data on that sometimes. So, um, cool. Now to answer the question, yes. Like what are the other habits and strategies and things that you could do to maybe not track your calories, but you know, still try and lose weight along the process. (sighs) Things that come to mind for me are things like maybe the plate method, Now for a fat loss phase, like filling half of your plate up with vegetables, a quarter of that to three quarters of that with a protein source, and then a smaller portion of like a carb source, like that could be a good idea. Um, You know, you could stick to different portion sizes. I would also say that like some like subtle strategies that I've had people do that I've seen make a difference are things like putting your fork down between every single bite when you're eating and like actually... um, being a little bit more in tune and chewing through your food and trying to be a little bit more in tune with, you know, your hunger signaling and your satiety signals that come into play. Um, in that same breath, eating without distractions, I think is another huge one, right? Like you eating food and you watching, you know, reels or TikTok on your phone and you're just shoveling food into your mouth and you don't even know how much you've eaten or what you've eaten, or you just finish everything just because you can finish it. Like, and you just eat that in five minutes, like, yeah, like that can make it easier to overeat and for you to just kind of override or ignore, you know, what your body might be telling you at that particular meal. 
doesn't even have to be just scrolling social media, watching YouTube videos, working, responding to emails, watching TV or sports at night, fucking with your iPad or even reading at some level. Like if you're sitting there reading on your nook or reading a book and you're eating and you're just mindlessly eating, like, yeah, I can just make it a little bit more difficult because you're not giving your full attention to what's in front of you. Um, so yeah, different things like that. There's always, there's always going to be strategies out there that you can use. So just know that if tracking is not your thing and you're not open to it, like you don't have to do that to lose weight. So don't feel like that that's something that is a must do because there's other ways around that. Cool. I'm going to end that question on there. Next one actually somewhat relates to what we just talked about, but mindset shifts when going more towards an intuitive eating approach. I have to say this first, that I'm not an intuitive eating dietitian by any means. I am familiar with it. Um, For those of you who are not familiar with it or have never heard of that before, essentially um, there's a book that came out and some really good like um, dietitians and people who are in the space that practice uh, intuitive eating, but it's kind of... um, man, it's just kind of a different way of looking at your food and your nutrition and taking like food rules off the table, which I tend to like nod my head along with a lot of the principles on a lot of things that they're teaching and helping people unlearn when it comes to nutrition and their intake and their health and how they perceive their health. But I have to say that there are specific dietitians that out there that work in the intuitive eating space. Um, and ironically, like you know, there's dietitians and health coaches that are like myself who are maybe a little bit more pro-tracking and um, using more data and feedback and different things to, to help people accomplish their fitness goals. There's a whole world out there that, you know, uh, of dietitians, other health coaches that are, you know, working with people to find food freedom is kind of the, the catchy phrase that you'll hear people use and, and kind of advertise for their services. Um, but those two dietitians, those two health professionals tend to like bat heads with one another. And I find it comical because for me, at least like we're all in this space to work together, right? And, and what might work for me and what might work for, you know, 50 of my clients right now might look very different versus this other health coach and what worked for him or her and what works with their clients. You know, a lot of it's dependent on what the client is looking for. Um, and that drives, you know, a lot of, um, just approaches and in, in how some of these coaches approach their own, you know, health business and everything that they work on with their clients, but intuitive eating being one of them. But I'm here to say, I'm not shitting on that crowd. I think it's very necessary. I think what they do is really good work. And I have often referred people to other dietitians that I know that practice more of an intuitive eating practice more so than maybe what they would do with me. Um, whether we're full on tracking calories and food and body weight and tracking our workouts and lifting for hypertrophy and kind of doing all of these things just to learn a little bit more about food and and our life and how many calories we should be eating and all this stuff, right? Um, Just very different approaches. So I say that because I'm not the expert when it comes to intuitive eating, but I wanted to to just talk a little bit about it. Um, We talked a little bit about it already, but intuitive eating is not a diet. Uh, the goal is not weight loss when you switch your mindset to becoming an intuitive eater. So we have to remember that. Intuitive eating is also not, you know, eating whatever you want whenever you want it. Like you will hear people kind of advertise that and say that, um, you know, oh, you're craving pizza? Like go get pizza and eat it. You know, it's it's just, it's bigger than that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's not as simple as that sounds. So I, I add that context in there because I don't want people to think that this is what I'm actually talking about here. But the big shifts, what this question is asking, especially when it comes to your mindset, that people can start practicing and, and start to open their mind to are things like um, not moralizing your food, right? Like not looking at, at food as it's good or bad or healthy or unhealthy, but just looking at food for what it is, okay? Um, also, teaching people how to like listen to your body and eat when you're actually hungry and stopping when you are satisfied. Like that is just something that not a lot of people are in tune with or who think about, you know, and we, man, if you think about as a, as a culture, a a lot of different cultures too, right? Like we eat for a lot of different reasons besides being hungry. Like that's probably one of the the last, excuse me, reasons why people eat and choose to eat 
there's social cues, there's, there's stress cues. Um, there's, you know, preconditioning on when you eat and how much you eat and what your plate looks like and where you eat, like, like you and your routine can trigger you eating food, whether you're hungry or not. Like there's just a lot of different reasons out there why people eat with hunger being, you know, only one of them. And, and we have to appreciate the fact that that's really kind of our biological cue to tell us to start eating and stop eating. But a lot of times people lose sight of that and they're not in tune with that. And that's where I would say sometimes there's a knock on tracking food and tracking calories or macros is because sometimes it teaches people to eat or to override what they're feeling, right? And not eat at certain times of the day or, or eat more at certain times of the day or at the end of the day, because they're trying to hit a number instead of trying to hit a feeling at the end of the day. So, um, there's just kind of a big difference and again, there's a lot of nuance behind that and, you know, there's going to be times where you might be a little hungrier throughout the day because you're in a fat loss phase and your ultimate goal is fat loss, you know, like eating until you're full might be working against you in that type of, you know, time frame. And that's again, where, you know, accomplishing these goals are different than intuitive eating because intuitive eating, you're not going on a diet and the goal like isn't weight loss. It's more like body satisfaction and acceptance um, and improving your health markers in other ways instead of changing the way you look. So yeah, there's just some big differences between the two of those. Um, other mindset changes that happen are things like uh, letting go of food rules. Also like incorporating and eating a variety of foods going along with like the food rules things. A lot of people place certain foods or um, treats or types of, you know, meals and stuff off limits or as bad or as only special occasions and, and food freedom, intuitive eating kind of approaches are more encompassing of eating all of those foods, maybe a little bit more frequently, right? In lesser amounts, but, you know, teaching you how to honor your craving of like, hey, I want to eat some chips right now, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't want you to overeat on the bag of chips, which is what like a lot of people would think it would be doing. Um, there's just a lot of things to unlearn and, and again, not moralizing food, um, taking out some of these food rules that you've been imposing on yourself for a long time, okay? Um, another thing that comes to mind too, I'm trying to remember some stuff here, but another one that comes to mind is recognizing like your emotions in finding different like coping skills outside of food. So it's not just only food focus all the time. Like it's very intuitive eating is very much intertwined with your environment. And again, the way you talk to yourself and how you perceive um, the food that you're eating and letting go of food rules. Um, just so many different other inputs besides like, am I hungry or not? So teaching you how to have better stress management techniques, how to cope with things differently, how to acknowledge when some of these um, triggers come up throughout your day that, you know, can trigger you into eating certain foods or to thinking certain ways or to eat when you're not hungry, like kind of like acknowledging that and moving through that is another, I think, cool approach that comes with like changing to this somewhat intuitive eating approach. Um, the last thing that is on the top of my head now that we're talking about lifestyle stuff, but exercise also gets thrown into this bucket. But this whole mindset of like, you should be exercising because you like it and it feels good and it makes you feel good. You're not exercising because you have to, which is what a lot of people can get kind of caught in the cycle in as well. Um, yeah, just again, unlearning negative thoughts and behaviors and, and emotions that have been tied to food and exercise and training. And there's a lot of people that can benefit from this. Like, I, I don't want this to be a hype up speech to say, oh, everyone should do intuitive eating. Cause I think, man, I, I think there's a lot of progress and cool things to be made. Like if you just work with a coach and you know, if you had a ne negative experience tracking food and calories, um, because you were in the mindset of, I have to lose weight and I'm only tracking calories. I'm eating as low as possible. And bananas are hundred calories and they have, you know, 25 grams of sugar. So I can't eat those things. It's like, fuck man, you trying to navigate through that alone without any support, without any previous education, you know, uh, understanding or principles set in place. Like no shit you fucked yourself up, like trying to do these things or do weight watchers or, um, you know, trying to abide by these food rules. So that's where I think working with a coach, honestly, in any context, especially when it comes to your health and fitness can be really beneficial 
is you can kind of change your perspective. You don't have to go full on intuitive eating to change the way you think about food and to understand and appreciate energy balance and to continue to work towards your physique and your vanity driven goals. So, um, intuitive eating, I just wanted to touch on this because it is an option out there. It is, uh, something that, again, I don't know a ton about, like I couldn't take a client and walk them through this process. It's just not something I'm comfortable with but I know people that do and I would have no problem directing somebody. If you're listening to this and you're curious about it on who to follow on Instagram, what accounts to like engage with and and who to reach out as a coach, if that is exactly what you want to do. So cool. There's probably a ton more things. If you're an intuitive eating dietitian and you just listen to that rant, like, and I've, you know, fucked one or two things up or didn't say something perfectly. I, I apologize, but I just, uh, just wanted to, to kind of do my best and give my two cents on, on that question. Cause I get asked it not somewhat frequently, like once a quarter, somebody might bring it up to me. Um, but yeah, those are the things that come to mind when I, uh, yeah, when I hear that cool On to the next one, your opinion on trying to avoid added sugars. Yeah, this is a tricky one. And my favorite way to answer things is it depends, right? And what I mean by depends is this is really going to come back to your headspace and the intention in which you're doing some of these things with and making some of these decisions with. Now, does you saying, right, like avoiding added sugars. Now, does avoid in your definition mean you have like really high levels of stress and anxiety around these types of foods. And when you see foods with sugar in them and you feel like they're bad, like does it elicit this type of reaction within you to the point where you're like, well, these things are bad or somebody told me they're bad on Instagram. So I have to avoid them or else I won't be healthy. Um, Cause that is a mindset that people approach not eating added sugars with, or on the other hand, you know, you might be somebody that's like, Hey, Sure, when I can try and eat mostly nutritious foods that don't have a ton of added sugar or processed sugars in there, like I'm gonna do my best to do that because I know that those foods probably aren't as nutritious for me, right? You can see how those two different approaches or those two headspaces are very different from one another, okay? And I'm, I'll sit here and I'll stand by this, but I personally don't think people should be eating a lot of you know food that has a ton of added sugar or a ton of processed foods really hyper palatable foods, really delicious foods, right? Because it's just an easy way to eat more calories than what you need, especially from calories that are lacking a lot of nutrients and fiber and, and protein and all these things, but not because they're inherently bad, right? Um, you know, this 80-20 rule, 80% of the time eating mostly whole nutritious, you know, home-cooked meals, home-cooked food, even if some of that food is processed, but like you have a protein powder, you know, and you're making smoothies and you're having some of these processed foods, you know, those can be super beneficial. And then 20% of the time, sure, yeah, we go back to earlier in this conversation where you have donuts once a week in the office and you love this particular donut and you have that once a week or every other week or once a month, right? Or you enjoy a pizza party with your friends or something, or you watch a game on the weekends, like 20% of your week should include some of those things. Um, but again, I, I don't want you to have this mindset where you think sugar is bad and it's killing you because again, those foods are lower in protein, lower in fiber, lower in micronutrients, low in satiety, at least most of the time these foods are. So I don't want you to be afraid of them, but I just want you to appreciate the fact that that's not a food that is serving you as much as maybe some other foods. And it's not a food that is going to, you know, cross off, you know, or add to the buckets of some of these health promoting behaviors that we're having. Um, And so with that rationale, it's like, yeah, maybe limiting that is a good idea because, you know, they're not leading to the overall purpose or the overall goals and the things that I'm trying to work towards right now, but understanding that they're not killing you, right? Like they should and could be included within your normal day-to-day routine. And they're likely going to be included in your life throughout your lifetime, right? So learning to, to just have a, a positive headspace around it and make that rational decision instead of making this like super emotional based decision based out of fear is what I would push you to think about and what I would push you to do. Okay. But yes, I think, I think avoiding or not avoiding, but just like limiting added sugars for the most part is going to be a good idea for most people. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, keep that in mind, check in with yourself and just remember that, man, it's not about the actual thing. It's just the, in, the intent in which you are doing some of these things with. I think we've had this conversation before on previous podcast episodes, but the intent in which you're doing these things. Because um, the act of doing it itself is neutral, but do you have a positive or a negative headspace around it? And is that doing more harm than good? And yeah, that's where I just see a lot of people struggle with this internal voice saying, you should avoid added sugars. You should avoid seed oils at all costs, right? You should avoid artificial sweeteners, like all these things. Yeah. When in reality, it's, uh, man, it's just, it's just like stepping over pennies or stepping over dollar bills to pick up pennies in certain cases. Okay. So yeah, just think big picture. I'm going to end that question on there. Cause, uh, yeah, I find myself, I'm just talking about the same thing over and over again. Cool. Next question. How am I losing weight and eating more at the same time? I was at 1450 calories and now I'm at 1800 and down some pounds. I, that's not exactly how that question read, but that's what I got out of that question. So the most common answer that I will answer back to this is you probably weren't eating 1400 calories. Like that's just probably the reality of the situation. Cause if you were, and you, you know, are eating 1800 calories, 1900 calories now, and you are losing weight, like you would have seen that weight loss or even faster weight loss by eating 400, 500 less calories below where you're at right now. Cause you eating 1800 right now tells me that you're in a deficit since you're down some pounds and you're losing some weight. Um, 1400 would elicited the same response. You know, you weren't biohacking anything by doing a reverse diet or whatever it is. But really what happens is people perceive that they're eating 1400 calories. Um, you know, maybe you weren't actively tracking or um, documenting all the calories you were eating or logging correctly. Um, because the example that I see all the time is, yeah, maybe you are doing that, right? Maybe you saw some days where you're at 1450 calories, um, but you're only tracking a few days a week. Um, and, and maybe you weren't accounting for other snacks and things that you ate throughout the course of the day, but maybe on the days that you are tracking, you are seeing a lower number, but then maybe other days you're not tracking. You have no idea how many calories that you're eating or, or you're not tracking intentionally because you're afraid to see how many calories that you're eating on the days that you're, you know, not being super intentional with some of this stuff. And that's where people can have days. Okay. You had four days, three days of 1400 calories, but then you also had three days of 2200 to 2500 calories. And that's the thing that's balancing out your calories, your averages for the week. And that's what's taking you out of a deficit because you were, you weren't in one in the first place. And there's likely days where you're kind of just overcompensating or underreporting, And that's the thing that's keeping you stagnant with your weight loss goals. So that, and also the act of you thinking you're eating more calories, let's say you're eating 1800 calories now and you're losing weight, but you know, when you were having days where you're eating 1400 calories, like that's a pretty low number. Um, and some people have to get to that number to lose weight. That's the reality of it. Um, but that's a pretty low number and it can kind of put you in the scarcity mindset. Um, and again, it can make it really difficult to adhere to hitting those numbers consistently. Now you bump yourself up 400 calories Maybe you have more flexibility. Maybe, you know, maybe you're a little bit more consistent and, um, you know, you don't feel as food deprived by eating 1800 calories, 1900 calories one day compared to 1400 calories. And you're more consistent at that 1800 calorie mark throughout the course of the week. You bet your ass that that will improve your adherence and it will help put you in a deficit because it's easier for you to hit you know, maybe a higher deficit target, um, than for you to slash your calories and to try and starve yourself to death. Right. It's a recipe for like binging or going a few days and then just, again, saying fuck it and, and binging all weekend and then starting over on Monday. Like you eating 1,800 calories consistently throughout the course of the week or you having 1,700 calories Monday to Friday and then 2,000 calories Saturday, Sunday. Like you might find that that is a better balance for you and is more realistic to adhere to compared to going lower on those numbers. So there's a good chance that your adherence improved because you made some of those adjustments and are eating a little bit more calories. Um, so from a calorie standpoint, that's what I would see. I say I see more often. Other things that could be playing into this could be things like you reducing maybe your stress 
Um, especially from a food standpoint, like maybe you're less stressed, maybe you're less food focused. Um, maybe the stress of you eating very little is not taking as much as a toll on you as you eating in a slight deficit. So decreasing stress around your food and the stress that not eating enough food can elicit on you might be one of those things that again, make you more adherent or help you shed some water weight or just feel a little bit better throughout the course of the day. You might be performing better in your workouts or recovering more from your workouts because you have increased, you know, um, calories that you're having throughout the course of the week. Now, um, maybe you're moving more, maybe you have higher needs, or maybe you're um, exercising more and you're able to get more out of your exercise throughout the course of the week because you're eating a little bit more food now. Just a, a handful of things that come to mind for me of, you know, non-direct ways that might, you know, change the energy output part of this equation, but more often than not, it's what we talked about first. And it's like you improving your adherence and just being more consistent at a higher calorie range is really the thing that, you know, makes people lose weight and makes them think that they did this magical reverse diet and uh, you reversed your maintenance calorie range. Now you're able to cut on higher calories. Like it's not what's happening. It's, it's more so, you know, you're just being more diligent and more consistent with what you need to be doing. And that's, what's giving you some, some results and you're seeing those happen quicker. Cool. I'll do one more. I have a few more here, but I got one more. It's, it's already a little longer than I wanted to be on here, but uh, it is what it is. Last question here we have is getting wisdom teeth out next week off for two to three weeks from the gym, scared to lose gains advice. First off getting your wisdom teeth out. I'm guessing as an adult, sounds fucking brutal. So I wish you the best of luck. And I, uh, I'm hoping you have a, a, a quick recovery from that. I don't, I had those out when I wasn't like, I don't know, sixth grade or something. I don't even remember when I got those things taken out, but maybe it was even younger than that. Who knows? But damn, that was brutal. And I remember, yeah, it's like five to seven days, at least you're kind of on your ass and not eating much and, you know, just eating like liquid smoothies and stuff. So yeah, I do not envy you. And, um, yeah, I I think that process is maybe a little bit harder as an adult to recover from. I don't know. I could be wrong. Any, uh, orthodontists or oral surgeons, whoever does that kind of procedure, like, let me know if I'm making that up, if it's harder to recover from, you know, getting your wisdom teeth pulled as an adult compared to you being a kid completely irrelevant with what we're talking about here. Um, but I would, first off, let's answer this question. I wouldn't stress about this at all, especially the not working out piece. You know, you said two to three weeks, your recovery. I'm assuming that's the number you got from maybe your doctor, but two to three weeks is fucking nothing. Okay. Like the, the, the thing that I would put my attention and and effort into is probably going to be the harder thing is working on getting enough calories and, and, protein through whatever type of food that you're able to eat. Again, I, I don't know what the specifics are in recovery and what you can and should avoid for however long after your surgery, but I'm guessing liquids and, and smoothies and, you know, pre-broken down foods, even soft foods are probably going to be more advisable and what you're going to be leaning on for the week or two after that. But I would really focus on on trying to get enough calories in and trying to get enough protein in because that's going to help with your recovery too. Um, but it's also going to minimize or prevent, you know, a ton of muscle um, loss from happening in the first place, okay? So I I would say don't give a fuck about losing your gains or your muscles. Um, if you lose any at all, um, you're going to gain that back almost immediately once you start getting back into your normal routine again. So it's just not something that I want you to worry about. Biggest effort would be pushing towards doing what you know you need to do, like getting enough calories, staying hydrated, you know, doing your cleaning protocols or doing your follow-up appointments as needed. Like, like give this your full attention right now. Okay. The gym will always be there, right? These goals you're working towards will always be there, but this is going to be a very small speed bump and, and man, I just, I don't want you stressing or adding more stress to what is already going to be added to your plate here coming soon. Um, by thinking you're, you know, not making progress or going to be losing a bunch of progress while you're not working out for that two to three weeks. So, and honestly, this goes for anybody doing any type of like elective procedure or even non-elective procedure. 
um, injured athletes, you know, people voluntarily doing something, hysterectomies, like, you know, um, doing a type of surgery on a, on a bone, like whatever it is, there's an infinite amount of reasons why somebody can get uh, a procedure, but keep this in mind, right? It's like what you do leading up to that, probably not super significant. Um, but then what you're not doing, you know, for that time frame as you're recovering, from like a lifting standpoint, from like a muscle building or muscle loss standpoint, it's like, it's not that significant either, especially these smaller, you know, recovery timetables. It's just not something that I really want anybody to stress about. Now, if you tore your ACL or, you know, your Achilles, God forbid something bad, you know, and you have six months, nine months, a year of recovery, like that's a very different conversation. It's a very different approach and in, in working around your limitations and working with the uh, physical therapist, with a personal trainer, um, even a nutrition coach to like dial in your nutrients, to dial in your training, working around your injury, working through that rehab process. Yeah, that's going to be very different. But um, yeah, comparing that to getting your wisdom teeth out, it's just, it's not the same. So we'll keep it at that. Just, uh, just don't stress too much about it. I can't emphasize that enough. Okay, cool. I'm going to end that podcast episode on there. If you made it this far, I appreciate you listening as always find myself just, uh, again, just rambling on a lot more than I think I'm going to and answering some of these questions, but Hey, that's what we're here for. So again, appreciate everybody who asked these questions. I hope this helps. I'm going to continue doing these Q and a style podcasts uh, as I go forward in the future. And, um, yeah, I enjoy them and I hope you enjoy them too and get something out of it. But until next time, remember to eat with a purpose, train with attention and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. Hope you have a good one today and I will see you on the next episode. Okay, talk soon. Peace. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.